Hello, I am Matthew Hurst, the worship minister of First Baptist Church, Watauga, and we want to simply say thank you for listening to these messages. We'd like to invite you on Sunday morning at 1045 to join us in worship of God and to hear from His Word. Our mission here at FBC Watauga is to exalt the Savior equip the saints, and to evangelize the lost one person at a time. So I pray as you listen to these messages that you would be encouraged and equipped as you listen to the word of the Lord today. So as we start out this morning, I want to start with a question. What is the priority of your life? What is the priority of your life? And I realize that we're in church right now, so, so if you could, don't just jump right to that churchy answer, but, but pause for a moment, and, and if possible, do an honest inventory of your heart to answer this question. What is the priority of your life? Billy Graham famously once said, give me five minutes with a person's checkbook, and I will tell you where their heart lies. There's certainly a lot of truth and wisdom in that, that, that to say that where and how we spend our money and how we budget our finances gives us great insight into what someone values and what they prioritize. Now, in the world that we live in today, I would update that to include, let me spend five minutes looking at someone's social media feed, and I will tell you what they prioritize, what they value. Because many times, if we're honest, many times what we prioritize, we post about. What we prioritize, we post about. And so not only do our our finances, where we are spending our money, not only do, do our finances give us great insight into what someone is prioritizing, but, but social media, where, where many of us spend a lot of our time, gives us great insight into what is a priority for someone. So let me ask that question one more time. What is the priority in your life? So we're in this series right now titled Life in Jesus' Name, and we're walking through the book of John. And last week, we, we kicked off chapter four of the book of John, and we read the first 26 verses of John chapter four. And in those first 26 verses, we saw uh, the, the Samaritan woman come to the well and meet with Jesus. Jesus has this encounter with this Samaritan woman at the well. And today, as we continue in chapter four, we're gonna see and understand what is the priority for God as we see and understand what the priority was for Jesus in this passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter four. We're gonna look at verses 27 through 42. John chapter four, 27 through 42. And as you're turning there, let me just set this passage up for you. If you remember last week, we talked about how controversial that that it would be for Jesus to be having this conversation with this Samaritan woman because Jews did not associate with Samaritans. And so Jesus is having this conversation with this woman, and while he's having this conversation, the the disciples had gone into town to buy some food. All right, and so as we kick off in verse 27, we're gonna see see the disciples use this word, and, and the CSB translates it as 
amazed, all right? We're gonna see that they were amazed that he was talking to her. Other translations use the word surprised or even shocked, and I would say that, that those translations are probably a little closer to what captures uh, the heart of what's going on here, that the disciples would be shocked to see Jesus talking to this Samaritan woman, because if you remember last week, the thought, for, the, the thought that a Jew would have to see Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman would likely be how could he? How could he do such a thing? But even though the disciples are amazed, even though they may be surprised and shocked that, that Jesus is talking with this Samaritan woman, even though they may not understand why he's talking to her, they don't say anything about it. They simply, they simply stay silent. And, and, and I believe that they don't say anything to Jesus about it because they, they've been with him already. They've seen him at work already. And in fact, they, they've already seen new believers. Uh, the start of chapter four told us that, that Jesus' disciples were already baptizing more new believers than John the Baptist was. And so I believe that, yes, they were shocked and maybe they didn't even understand, but, but they had been with Jesus and they trusted that he had a plan and while this isn't one of our main points this morning, I think it's important for us to understand that God has a plan even when we don't understand. God has a plan even when we don't understand. God has a plan for your families even when you don't understand what he's doing. God has a plan for your jobs even though you may not understand what's going on. God has a plan for your life and he has a plan for my life even when we don't understand. God has a plan so even before we get started this morning, let me pause and ask you this. Can you trust him? Can you trust that he has a plan even when you don't understand? So as we read this passage this morning, we're gonna start by seeing the disciples returning and see, they're gonna see Jesus having this conversation with the woman at the well and we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. So let's read John chapter four, verses 27 through 42. Says, just then his disciples arrived and they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. 
And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. So as we walk through this passage this morning, there are three important truths that I want you to walk away with today. The first thing that I want you to see is that Jesus knows what's best. Jesus knows what's best. Let's read verses 31 through through 34 again. It says, in the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work, Jesus told them. Jesus knows what's best. So, so the disciples knew that Jesus was tired from their journey they, they knew that he hadn't eaten anything and that he was likely hungry. This is why they had gone into town to, to buy some food. And so as they, as they come up upon him and he's having this conversation, they're, they're trying to get him to stop. Just stop, Jesus. Just, just stop what you're doing. Just take a break and eat some food so that your stomach can be feel, filled. But Jesus isn't concerned about stopping for a meal which gives me some level of alarm here because it indicates that Jesus clearly wasn't a Baptist. <laughs> but here's the truth for us. Jesus knows what's best. The disciples think eating is what's best, but Jesus says this meal right now isn't what's best. Obeying the will of God is what's best for me. Understand, the will of God is what's best for your life and it's what's best for my life. Now sometimes we may think we know what's best for us, but ultimately it is the will of God that's best for your life and for my life. So back in early 2010, Sarah, Emily and I, we were getting ready for our move down here to Fort Worth so that I could start attending Southwestern Seminary. And as we were preparing for this move, still living up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, I began applying furiously for full-time youth pastor positions in this area. I, I was 28 at the time. I believed, you know what would be best for me if I could just get a full-time youth pastor position down there? So I applied at all of these different jobs and, and none of them worked out. And so it was only after moving down here that my good friend, Zach Hudson, who used to serve on staff here at the church, he gave me a call and he said, we've got a part-time young adult ministry internship available here at First Baptist Wataga. And so I talked with Sarah and I met with Pastor Dennis and, and we prayed about it and I really believe that's what God was calling me to, to take this, this part-time young adult ministry internship. And so I moved into that position and I served in that position for, for several months. And, and after several months, the church, this church then called me to be the young adult pastor and, uh, and the children's pastor here at First Baptist Wataga. And so I believed that what was best for me was securing this full-time youth pastor position, but God had a different plan. And so I served in that, that young adult pastor position and children's pastor position for several years, and, and then as you know, as many of you know, over the last 10 years, that has transitioned into me serving as the associate pastor here and, and the youth pastor here at First Baptist Wataga. 
I believed what was best for me was to secure that full-time youth pastor position while I was still up in Tulsa, but God had a different plan. God's will was different than my own, but God's will was what was best for my life. The will of God is what's best for your life. Your own will is not God's best for you. Your best is not God's best for you. God's will is what's best for your life. So hear me this morning, don't don't miss God's best by settling for what you think is best. Don't miss God's best by settling for what you think is best. Jesus knows what's best. So Jesus says, I'm not interested in eating my food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. But I want you to hear the focus of what Jesus knows is best. The will of God, the the work that Jesus had come to accomplish was an eternally lasting work. Jesus didn't come to simply eat a meal. He didn't come to simply be temporarily satisfied. In fact, he has just finished talking with this woman at the well and telling her that he has greater satisfaction for her than than the satisfaction that she is receiving from these temporary wells of life that she continues to go to. He has a greater satisfaction. And so not only does Jesus teach about this greater satisfaction, Jesus employs it in his own life here. He puts it in a practice in his own life by saying, the temporary things, this meal will not be what satisfies me. I am satisfied by the eternal things. I am satisfied by the will of the Father. And because Jesus wasn't simply satisfied by the temporary things, Jesus had different priorities. And what we see in in Jesus's priority, what we see in Jesus doing the will of the Father, Jesus's priority wasn't sustenance, Jesus's priority was salvations. His priority in that moment wasn't to see his stomach filled, his priority was to see his kingdom filled. And so let me say this, because Jesus knows what's best, his priority should become our priority. Because Jesus knows what's best, his priority should become our priority. So this won't surprise you for me to say this, but we live in a world of distractions. Everything is vying for our attention. In fact, your attention is a product that the world wants to purchase. Your attention is a product that the world wants to purchase. Recently, a documentary was released titled The Social Dilemma. And in this documentary, it talks about how advertisers pay to place these ads, right? And of course, it's been done for years in TVs as, as commercials, right? In the middle of your TV shows, you, you see these ads, these commercials. But, but more and more in this newer generation, right, we see these ads on places like YouTube. And then the, the real focus of this documentary was on uh, ads that we see on social media like Facebook and Instagram, And so as these advertisers pay to place these ads, they're not simply paying for ad space, they are paying for your attention. They're paying for those those seconds or minutes that you stop scrolling to look at their ad. So the world is vying for our attention. And so the question has to become, do you recognize the value 
of your own attention? Do you recognize the value of your own attention? Because if advertisers recognize the value of your attention enough that they are willing to pay for it, then maybe we should value our attention just a little bit more and maybe we should be a little bit more cautious with what we are willing to give our time and our attention to. So in this world of distractions, what are you giving your attention to? Money, sports, politics, social media, materialism, what are you giving your attention to? And let me encourage you to see the value of your own attention. And and don't just give your attention away to just anyone or anything. Instead, instead of giving our attention away to anything and anyone, may we value our attention enough to not simply be distracted, but to intentionally give our attention over to the things that matter most, to give our attention over to the eternal things, to give our attention over to what Jesus prioritizes. So Jesus knows what's best. And because he knows what's best, his priority should become our priority. The second thing I want you to see this morning is that Jesus offers us a look through his eyes. Jesus offers us a look through his his eyes. Let's read verses 35 through 38 again. It says, don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Jesus offers us a look through his eyes. So over the course of the last couple of months, my mom has had uh, cataracts removed from both of her eyes. And so after having this surgery to remove the cataracts from her first eye, uh, all of a sudden she was able to see things brighter. So, So she walked into her house, she walked into her bathroom and she stopped and she asked my dad, did you put newer, brighter bulbs in, in this bathroom? And of course he hadn't, but, but she was seeing more light in this bathroom than she'd ever seen before. It was a bathroom she had seen time and time again, but for the first time, she was seeing it differently. So last week we discussed that there was this great divide between the Jews and the Samaritans, right? The, the Samaritans interpreted the law differently. They worshiped on the wrong mountain, which the Jews considered to be pagan worship. But beyond that, what I didn't mention last week is how the Jews specifically viewed the Samaritans. They saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. So when King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon was, was conquering most of the Middle Eastern world, he used an approach designed to, to prevent the captives from uniting together and, and rebelling. So what what he would do is he would move large amounts of people from a country and and spread them out, move them to different locations. So when he took most of Judah to Babylon, he resettled other people in their place. But not all the Jews had been carried off. The, The elderly were left behind, the weak were left behind, and some temple scribes were left behind to to take care of the elderly and the weak. And so 
with, with the country almost vacant, the, the temple scribes and some others, they, they then began to, to move to the pasture lands of Samaria. And then it was there that they began to intermarry with, with others that were brought in. And so the Samaritans were no longer this, this purebred Jewish race. And so the Jewish people saw the Samaritans as half-breeds. But what Jesus does in this moment with the disciples is he invites them to look at the Samaritans, these people that they had seen time and time again, he invites them to look at them differently, to see them differently. Jesus says, look, see what I see. Don't just see them as Samaritans. Don't, don't just see them as people you don't like. Don't just see them as half-breeds. See them as the harvest. So Jesus knows this truth and he's teaching this truth. How we view someone will impact how we respond to them. How we view someone will impact how we respond to them. So when I was growing up, my family and I, we, we took a trip to Disney World and Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida. And one of the mornings as we were walking into one of those parks, uh, a lady dressed up as Lucille Ball got really close to my face and said, hi, sweetie. Now, I did not recognize her as a character. I did not realize she was a character initially when she got up in my face. I just thought she was some wacko lady in my personal space. And this was pre-COVID, but I was like, social distancing lady, get away from me. Right? And so my initial reaction, when she got up in my face, my initial reaction was to turn away from her and head the other direction until I realized who she was when I realized who she was, when I realized she was this character dressed up as Lucille Ball, when I realized, when I saw her for who she was, I didn't want to turn away from her and head the opposite direction. I wanted to turn towards her and head directly to her. How we view someone will impact how we respond to them. And so Jesus invites the disciples to, to not see the Samaritans the way they've always seen them, and to keep this same attitude of let's turn away from them, let's head the opposite direction, let's keep our distance from them. But, but now he invites them to see them as they really are, as lost people who desperately need salvation just like everyone else. And as he invites them, to the disciples, to see these Samaritans, to see them through his eyes, he invites them to head directly towards them because the harvest was ready. So let me pause right here and ask a very pointed question. Who do you need to see differently today? Who do you need to see differently today? Because how we view someone will impact how we respond to them. So who do you need to see differently today? There are many different lenses through which we view people in our world today. We might view them through economics, whether they're poor or rich, we might view them through politics, whether they're Democrat or Republican. We might view them through personal experiences, whether they've helped us or hurt us, whether they're a good, good boss or a bad boss, whether they're a good neighbor or a bad neighbor, whether we like them or whether we don't like them. There are many different lenses through which we view people today. But just as the just as Jesus invited the disciples to do, Jesus also invites us in this moment today to view people not, not through any other lens except through the lens through which he sees them, through the lens of his Father's heart, through the lens of 
eternity. So let me ask you one more time, who do you need to see differently today? And if you're struggling to see some of these people differently, whether it's individuals or, or people or, or groups of people, if you're struggling to see them through any other lens other than through the lens of eternity, the way Jesus sees them, would, then would you just ask Jesus to let you see them through his eyes? So Jesus invites the disciples to see the Samaritans differently. He also invites the disciples to see themselves differently. So as they look out at the Samaritan people, right, as they look at them through the lens of eternity, as they see these people not as half-breeds, but as they begin to see these people as the harvest, Jesus says, now don't just see them differently. I want you to see yourselves differently as well. Don't just see yourselves as Jews. Don't just see yourself as pure breeds. Don't just see yourself even as one of my disciples. See yourselves as sowers and reapers. And just as Jesus invites the disciples to see themselves as sowers and reapers, Jesus also invites us today to see ourselves as sowers and reapers. And in verse 37, we're given such a valuable truth. It says, for in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. So many times in evangelism, when, when we are sharing the good news with others, many times it can be discouraging, right? Because we go in with the desire, with the intention that as we share the good news, as we share the gospel, they're gonna hear the good news, they're gonna turn from their sins, they're gonna respond to Jesus, and they're gonna be saved. But many times that's not what happens Many times as we share the gospel, as we share the good news with others, we don't see them respond immediately. And so many times in our own discouragement, instead of continuing to share the gospel, as we get discouraged, we simply stop sharing. We simply give up. But Jesus says here, with the harvest, there aren't just reapers are sowers as well. There aren't just reapers, there are sowers as well. So I want you to hear this. In order for there to be a harvest, in order for there to be something to be harvested, there must be seeds planted. In order for there to be a harvest, there must be seeds planted. There must be a sower. So let me encourage you today, if there have been times that you have been discouraged because you have shared the good news with someone, you've shared, you've told them about Jesus, you wanted them to come to know the Lord, and they didn't respond immediately, they didn't give their life to the Lord in that moment, be encouraged today because although they may not have given their life to the Lord in that moment, a seed was planted, and there may be a time that they are ready for the harvest. And maybe you won't even get to be the one that, that harvests them, that, that gets to lead them in that prayer of salvation, that, that, gets to, that gets to share the gospel and see them come to know the Lord right then. Maybe you won't get to be the harvester, but it doesn't make your sharing or your seed planting any less valuable. Because there is no harvest to reap without the sower. And so Jesus says, the sower and the reaper can rejoice together, 
regardless of the role you play in the salvation of someone else, whether it was sowing the seed and sharing the gospel with them or whether it was reaping the harvest as you get to lead them in that prayer of salvation, regardless of the role you play, whether you are the sower or the reaper, the sower and the reaper can rejoice together because there was a harvest to be harvested. Now, let me also say this. I think many times we undervalue the impact of our sharing. I think many times we undervalue the impact that our sharing will have on others. So last week I I brought with me a bottle of Topo Chico. It's my favorite uh, drink. It's just carbonated mineral water. So I brought this bottle of Topo Chico up here with me and I talked for about three minutes about how good Topo Chico is. All right, so let's look at this picture. This was from Sunday night. This was on social media. So I talked about Topo Chico for about three minutes and look at all of these converts. (laughs) Never undervalue the impact that you're sharing will have on others. Maybe you are a sower, maybe you are a reaper, but regardless, you can be a sharer. So Jesus knows what's best, and because he knows what's best, his priority should become our priority. Jesus offers us a look through his eyes, and he invites us to see others differently, but he also invites us to see ourselves differently as well. The final thing that I want you to walk away with today is that Jesus is worth sharing. Jesus is worth sharing. So at the start of chapter four, we see this woman encounter Jesus. She's going to the well to draw this water out and she encounters Jesus. And Jesus begins to tell her things about herself. He, He tells her that he's the Messiah and he offers her living water and her life is changed. She believes and she receives this living water into her life. But, but understand this, the, the encounter with Jesus, this woman's encounter with Jesus was not the end of the story because after she encounters Jesus, verse 28 tells us, the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the people. And then in verse 39, it tells us many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. She tasted the living water, received that living water into her life, but then she turned around and immediately began to give that living water back out. So if you'll humor me for just a bit longer, let me bring you back to that illustration of Topo Chico one more time. Last week, One of the things I talked about with Topo Chico was the carbonation and and how good it feels when I feel that sting of carbonation hitting my tongue, right? So I was reminded after the service by a church member that what's in a carbonated drink is carbon dioxide, right? And so so carbon dioxide, that's in Topo Chico, right? But carbon dioxide is also something that we breathe out, right? We breathe in oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide, right? And so as I drink my Topo Chico's, I'm bringing in carbon dioxide into myself, but at the very same time as I'm breathing, I'm also sending out, I'm giving out carbon dioxide, 
right? So listen, as Jesus gives us living water, it's something that is to be both received into us, but it's also something that we are to give out from us. It is something that is worth sharing. And so this Samaritan woman receives this living water into her own life, but then she gives it back out to the rest of the community. And because she gives it out to the community, many more come to know Christ. But then I want you to see what happens because, because as the people of the community hear and they, they believe, they then they invite Jesus to come and stay with him, which he does for a couple of days. And then we read in verse 42, they tell the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the savior of the world. In other words, they experience this initial belief because of what the Samaritan woman had shared with them. But then, then their faith became personal as they experienced Jesus for themselves. Just like in that picture that I just showed you uh, of those that had those bottles of Topo Chico last week, as I talked about how good it was, they experienced initial belief about how good Topo Chico was, and so they went out and they experienced it for themselves. And so I would ask you this morning, have you experienced Jesus for yourself? Have you tasted and received this living water in your own life? Has Jesus become more than someone that, that someone else has simply shared with you, talked about with you, but, but has he become personal in your own life as you have entered into a personal relationship with Jesus for yourself? And if you're here today and, and you would say you have experienced Jesus for yourself, you have received this living water into your life, I would ask you, are you sharing Jesus with others that they might also believe? Are you giving this living water back out from yourself? Because if you have experienced Jesus, if you have experienced this living water, then you know that Jesus is worth sharing. So Jesus knows what's best, and because he knows what's best, his priority should become our priority. Jesus offers us a look through his eyes, and he invites us to see others differently, but he also invites us to see ourselves differently. And Jesus is worth sharing. And when we are willing to share, we give others the opportunity for belief. And so this morning, I wanna give you the opportunity for belief. So I'm gonna invite Matthew back up here and we're gonna have a time of response this morning. And it's not gonna be a formal time of response where you come forward to respond. So let me just offer you a few ways that you might respond right where you're at in your own heart. Maybe you're here today and you would say that there are just some things going on in your life or things going on in this world that you simply just do not understand. You cannot comprehend it. Maybe it's shocking to you. You don't understand what's going on. Would you just in this moment today confess those things to the Lord and just trust that he has a plan even when you don't understand? Maybe you're here today and you would say that Jesus 
Jesus's priority has not been your priority. The things of eternity have, have not been your priority. And maybe you've been distracted by many temporary things in this world. But today you are ready to have your priorities refocused so that you can, so that you can prioritize what Jesus prioritizes. If that's you in this moment, would you simply just confess that to the Lord and allow for him to begin to reprioritize your heart so that you will begin to focus on and give your attention to the things that matter most. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you would say, you need, need to begin seeing others through Jesus's eyes. Maybe there is a particular person that comes to your mind right now that you need to see differently. Or maybe it's a group of people that you need to begin seeing differently. Not, not simply as people you don't like or people that have rubbed you the wrong way, but you need to see them as the harvest so that you will be faithful in sharing with them. Or, or maybe today you just need to see yourself differently so that you will begin to faithfully share so that you will be a sower and a reaper. Would you in this moment just confess that to the Lord and allow for, allow for Jesus to, to let you see things through his eyes. Maybe you're here today and you would say that you have never experienced Jesus for yourself. You have never tasted this living water for yourself. You have never received this living water into your own life. But today, just as, just as the woman believed that Jesus was the Messiah, just as the, the community believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the one that came to save us for, from our sins, just as they believed that he was the Messiah, today you would say, I believe that he's the Messiah. And today you would say, I am ready to turn from my sins and to confess Jesus as Lord. If that's you in this moment, would you in your own heart just confess your sins to the Lord? And would you also make this simple confession, Jesus, you are Lord. And if you make that confession with your mouth, but it's also true in your heart that Jesus is now the Lord of your life, the supreme leader of your life, then we would love to know about it. And so I would encourage you to reach out to us after the service day, if you're here in person, you can grab me and let's talk, let's pray about this decision that you've made to make Jesus the Lord of your life. If you're joining us online today and you've made a decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, then I would encourage you to let us know. You can go to fbcwataga.org, contact us, send us a message, let us know so that we can begin praying for you as you make this new decision to follow Jesus as Lord. But whatever it is that you need to do in this moment, wherever it is that God needs to work in your heart in this moment, I would just encourage you to respond to him obediently. Hey folks, this is Pastor Dennis Hester, and I want to thank you for joining First Baptist Watauga through our podcast and hearing the message today. My prayer is that you are encouraged and uplifted by the preaching and teaching of God's Word. Our goal here is to equip you in your faith and to encourage you as you worship the Lord and seek to serve Him. If you have a question or you have a decision that you'd like to make, I'd encourage you to reach out to us through our website at fbcwatauga.org or simply call the church office. You can find that number or our email addresses there on that website as well. And by doing that, uh, we'd be glad to hear from you and we'd be encouraged about hearing what God's doing in your life. So God bless you and have a great day.